1: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. Uh, It's the day before Friday. We're always happy the day before Friday. We have a fantastic, awesome show uh, planned for you today. It's going to be terrific. We're going to hear from Royce White, Steve Kim, Shamika Michelle. Uh, I'm going to talk about What's, what I talked about last night on Tucker Carlson's show about the NHL player, Ivan Provorov, I believe is his name, that uh, would not participate in the Pride Night activities of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, we'll have a fire starter on that, and we'll discuss with Royce White. Shamika is going to come in and talk about Michelle Obama or a young woman that put out a TikTok video about Michelle Obama. And then Steve Kim's going to join us. We're going to talk about the... News that uh, Greg Roman, Lamar Jackson's Offensive Coordinator in Baltimore, is leaving Baltimore. We're going to talk about Tom Brady and uh, Byron Leftwich getting fired in Tampa and whether it's fair to blame Byron Leftwich. We'll talk a little Aaron Rodgers and Gronkowski. Awesome, awesome show playing for you. We'll start uh, with a fire starter, but before I get to the fire starter, there's one little extra thing I just want to get off my chest. It's just a, I, I don't want to go all the way into it right now because I have, I haven't thought this all the way through, but it's, it's all over social media. It's, it's kind of the talk of conservative media. And, and so I just have a tiny thought I'm going to air right now. And next week I may expound on my thoughts about this, but uh, the feud between Steven Crowder and The Daily Wire. I find it fascinating. I'll say this for right now. I wish that Steven Crowder had come right out and blasted Ben Shapiro rather than The Daily Wire. In my view, that's what I think a lot of this is about. When I think about uh, big con conservatives being in bed with big tech, I think about Ben Shapiro and Facebook and just playing it safe and looking like opposition and supporting the vaccine and supporting everything the establishment thinks is right until the tide turns, and then you become very brave and outspoken and you're against the vaccine and everything that the establishment thinks is right. It's, it's the unwillingness to talk about in my view, an election that was bogus. And no one wants to address that. And, and so I, I think Stephen has cleverly launched his own brand and is going to start his own media outlet. And he, he used this situation, his exit and uh, flirtation with other uh, media outlets, to build his own brand with his, the 30-minute video he put out, and now Jeremy Boring has res responded with a 52-minute uh, video. It's not about choosing sides, in, in my view, but it is about an honest conversation about people starting to recognize what type of war we're actually in. And, and Alex Jones, has been on this from the beginning. He he is the man that's well ahead of the curve. Just the name of his show, Info Wars. We're in an information war. And and Stephen to me, has clearly chosen a side, and I think the right side. You can't play footsie with big tech and be on the right side of the information war. And he's calling that out. Um, I don't think he has a real problem with the Daily Wire as much as he has a problem with Ben Shapiro, who is the face of the Daily Wire, and is the face of a conservative movement that doesn't realize we're in a legitimate information war and that you have, you can't play both sides. That there, there are things that we're not supposed to say, if you want to make the most money on YouTube, you want to make the most money on Facebook, I hope anybody watching this show and any of the Blaze shows realize that we don't play that game. We say what we think, when we want to say it, and deal with the consequences. Steve Dace crushed, crushed the COVID conversation. Crushed it. Out ahead of everybody. Writing books, he and Daniel Horowitz crushed it. We were willing to pay a price for that on issues of race, on just issues of the LGBTQ. Go watch Ali Stuckey talk about the LGBTQ stuff. She doesn't care. She's going to say what she believes is biblically sound. And so are we. On issues of race, I'm gonna say whatever I think is biblically sound and is the truth, I don't want to be popular with any of these big tech companies. So, that's all I'm going to say for now. Uh, I've probably said too much. Um, I, I probably, but I just had to say something. Uh, I like Steven Crowder. Uh, I like the fact that he's going the independent route. Uh, I, I Again, he, I felt like he could be a little bit more direct, but I don't have the relationships that he's had with Ben Shapiro. They have a long relationship. And, and he's probably come to an uncomfortable realization over the years, <laughs> like, oh, wow. That guy's playing footsies with uh, big tech. And if we're actually going to win this information, cultural war, if we're actually going to save America, can't play that game. Can't play footsies with them. Those people need to be, those organizations need to be destroyed, need to be broken up their control over what we can say in public is killing this country. Can't have an honest conversation when the platforms are controlled by people who believe in censorship. That's all I want to say on that uh, for now. Now, let me get you back on track with the uh, show that I have planned for us today. And so we'll start with the fire starter. Uh, Everybody get their fire retardant suits on. I'm gonna talk a little bit about the National Hockey League. Uh, The Bible stakes a clear position on pride. It is regarded as Satan's aphrodisiac of choice, more powerful than wine, drug, money, or brute force. A series of verses in the book of Proverbs spell out God's position on pride. Proverbs 11, verse two, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs sixteen, verse eighteen. One's pride will bring him low, but he, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs eight, verse thirteen. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. Proverbs sixteen, verse eighteen pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. I read a lot of proverbs this morning, read a lot of uh, things in study Bibles, interpretations of of, of those uh, verses. Last night, this morning, the the whole thing, I was on Tucker last night talking about this NHL thing. And so I just want to be clear about this Ivan Provorov. Roman Catholics believe pride is one of the seven deadly sins. Lust, greed, envy, sloth, gluttony, and envy are the others. And the root of all sin. Pride is the root of all sin. That's what Catholics believe. Ivan Provorov, a defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers, belongs to the Russian Orthodox Church, an offshoot of Roman Catholicism. No one should be surprised that he declined to participate in his team's Pride Night activities. In fact, no serious Christian should involve himself with any celebration of Pride, whether it's Gay Pride, Black Pride, Trans Pride, American Pride, Egg McMuffin Pride, or even Pride Pride. Pride is rooted in idolatry. The prioritization of a symbol, a thing, an activity, or self above worship of God. Tuesday night, during pregame warm-ups, Provorov refused to wear an LGBTQ jersey and use a stick with rainbow tape. He told reporters he wanted to stay true to himself and his religion. His decision spurred derision and pushback from inside and outside the hockey world. NHL Network broadcaster E.J. Pitarak suggested that Provorov should go fight in the Ukraine-Russian war. Take a listen.
2: And Ivan Provorov can get on a plane any day he wants and go back to a place where he feels more comfortable, take less money, and get on with his life that way. If it's that problematic for him. And he's been in North America for a long time. He played in the Western Hockey League. He's now been in Philadelphia for many years. If this is that much of a problem for him to maybe assimilate into his group of teammates and in the community and here in this country, that's okay, listen, you can feel any way you want. But the beauty is, if it bothers you that much, there's always a chance to leave, go back where you feel more comfortable. I understand there's a conflict of sorts going on over there. Maybe get involved. So,
3: I, I.
1: All right, Tim McKellar, host of a popular sports talk show in Canada, Rip Proborov with the popular Wrong Side of History argument. Take a listen to this.
4: simple like i've said it before i will say it again for those who can't hear me in the back i will always be on the side of equality i know people will point in other directions and try and distract you about what about this and what about that and toss false equivalencies around like footballs they'll hide behind ideologies like amazingly enough religion but i'm strong on this one jesse and quite comfortable either you are for equality or you're on the wrong side of history period and let everyone else and everyone on Twitter and every other show debate this and that and this. It's equality. That's that's all it is for me. Either you're on the side of equality Mm -hmm. or you're on the wrong side of history in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it
5: seems simple.
1: Some men actually pursue God, not history. Man is the God of recorded history. McAuliffe and others worship man. Poveroff worships God. Man believes pride is a virtue. The Bible says pride is Satan's best tool for destruction. Whom am I to believe? I see the destructive power of pride on a daily basis. Even man's written history reflects pride's destructiveness. White supremacy, according to the historians, is rooted in racial pride and racial idolatry. Black pride works just the same way as white pride. That's why proponents of Black Lives Matter delight in having white people kneel and beg forgiveness. The prioritization of skin color as a primary identity has led black people to embrace and defend a culture that denigrates and dehumanizes black people and white people. We ignore the slaughter of our children based on the race of the killer. That's black pride. It forbids black people from hating their sin. God actually commands us to hate sin, not people. Hating sin is good. Go back to Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. America's embrace of pride has reversed God's directive. We hate people and celebrate sin. Ivan Proverov is hated now because his faith compels him to avoid celebrating a lifestyle the Bible says is unhealthy. He disagrees with feigning pride in an activity he believes is wrong. He does not hate gay people. He's not advocating that we deny gay people fundamental freedoms, rights, and respect. He's rejecting pride, a deadly sin in his mind. What would lead to a better society? Hating people or rejecting pride? The answer is easy. We should reject pride. It spawns wickedness and division. People's sexual preference does not qualify them for a special night of celebration. Neither does a skin color. Man's nature is evil. Ivan Provorov and many others believers embrace the teachings in the Bible because it's the best way to combat our destructive nature. Proverol wants to be on the right side of God because he knows man is incapable of producing a righteous world without biblical instruction. Man uses hatred of man to produce justice. God tells us hatred of sin produces justice. Let me make it a bit more simple. Go to an analogy I love to use here on this show. I have a weight problem. Man advises me to hate Ronald McDonald. God tells me to hate gluttony. This sounds like a joke, it's not. The woke have crafted arguments that obesity is a byproduct of white supremacy. In a few years, the NHL and other sports leagues will be hosting obesity pride nights. They'll smother the hockey puck in gravy and demand that players eat fried chicken and cheeseburgers while on the ice. I hope Ivan Provorov skips that night as well. I'm gonna do everything in my power to skip that night. I'll be tempted, but I'll do everything in my power to skip it. That uh, is my fire starter. We're gonna roll out to Minneapolis and bring in uh, the deepest man on the show, Morpheus, uh, Royce White. Royce, I'm, you're a Catholic. There's some disagreement among Christians whether you know, everything Catholics believe is appropriate or sound doctrine or whatever. But one thing I think we all agree on is that pride is a sin, pride is destructive, but somehow we've got a culture that's telling everybody to embrace pride and they can't see the harm that that's causing Just your take on Ivan Provorov and why he's the only one in the NHL, seemingly, uh, willing to take this stand and stand with God and stand with his biblical teaching.
5: Uh, Well, I'm not sure uh, about the overall demographics of the NHL, um, so it's definitely a, a symbol of individual fortitude and, and and moral clarity on his part, but, but one thing that I was thinking about uh, before the show is it's very difficult for uh, everyday American citizens to understand the culture of Russia and the Russian identity, uh, partly because there's been, you know, infinite propaganda dumped on us uh, and since, you know, since before color television, since since the start of the Cold War after which which started after World War Two by by all metrics. So it's, it's very hard for people to understand the, the Russian identity and the Russian culture. Um, the Russians are very proud people. They, they don't identify as white. They identify as their own race. Uh, and, you know, they are Slavs historically, um, but they identify as Russian and. That's not to say that there's not any corruption in Russia, because Russia is a very, very corrupt country. We all know that, and many Russians will admit that, but there's a, there's a distinct game going on here. The Russian culture and the Russian identity is organized through order. They have a common denominator, and that common de- denominator is their ethno-national identity identity. It is the Russian people. It is Russia as a nation, as a nation that always has to remain sovereign and can't be subdued or conquered by foreign nations or foreign powers. That's their common denominator. So they navigate corruption through order with that common denominator. The people who run the West, who have been running the West since after World War II, they want to reorganize the Western identity through chaos and they want to navigate corruption through chaos. And their way to do so is to take out the bottom of identity. And, and what happens, my apologies, um, what happens when you take out the bottom of identity is people become resentful towards the only thing left they have to hold on to, and that's their own physical being, right? And that's why you see a lot of people in this liberal uh, brainwashing become resentful towards themselves but they're passive aggressive. So they pass on actually being violent towards themselves and they project all that violence and animosity onto other things. And that's what the LGBTQ movement and much of the social justice, cultural movements in the West have become. The Russians aren't playing by that game. They refuse to play by that game. And this young man obviously has a strong sense of his Russian identity.
1: So you think, and and I'm not disputing it, you think his Russian identity as much as, or if not more so than his religious identity, is compelling this action or that they work hand in hand?
5: Um, they work hand in hand for sure. I mean, the, the, first of all, the Eastern Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox Catholic Church is the second largest Christian conglomerate in the world 220 225 million eastern orthodox catholics um and and russia is a very big piece of that and all of the former soviet union is a big piece of that Um, their identity is deeply deeply rooted to their orthodox uh, tradition so i i think the two are, are joined at the hip but but i also believe um that he takes and or he is in this context taking strong cues from the overarching culture coming out of Russia. And you hear Putin and you hear a lot of the Russian, uh, you know, dignitaries and politicians saying the same thing about the West. We're not gonna bend to the LGBTQ. And it's really, th- that, that battleground is really a proxy for them not bending to the new world order, right? And that's the other thing people gotta understand. Uh, and I can't speak to his personal preferences or his sexuality or anything like that, but what I do know is that the people in Russia all the way at the top have made a decision that they're not going to concede the ground in a cultural proxy war to lgbtq because it's a gateway to nwo
0: mm.
1: so man you've made a interesting point that's kind of that's taking me here and, and and i know you're not leaning into the religious aspect of this argument but I, it makes me want to ask do you think the Russian people take their religious convictions more
5: seriously than the American people at this point? 100%. And, and look, this is not an affirmation. I want to re- reiterate, Russia is not a country that is void from corruption. It's a very corrupt country. The way they navigate and organize their culture and corruption at bottom, has their identity rooted in it. And their identity uh, uh, includes their their traditional cultural beliefs and their religious beliefs. But that is a a central component of how they identify and how they navigate, uh, you know, the world. America's identity is much, much different. It's much different historically, and it's certainly much different today, even from a historical sense. We are a corporation. This country is a conglomerate of global corporate interests, from, right, right from the word go. I mean, when you look at how the, the, the union was actually formed in the different territories and the ownership of the different territories from Europe, we had the Spanish, the Portuguese, the, the Brits, the, the, the French, the list goes on. We were always in a conglomerate of corporate interests. And again, the slave trade, the drug trade and piracy was at the heart of that. So although our constitution was informed by Judeo-Christian values, um, the actual identity of our nation was never contingent upon that. That's, that's a cover story. The Russians are very different and the Chinese are very different. They believe that their people are the religion, that the religion and their ethnicity are tied. Uh, we, we don't have that. And then as we've had this You know, this society that is built largely on immigration and pluralism and all of these other all of these other, you know, things. Now in today's world, we really have an absence of religious identity, but we also have a a radical absence of national identity. And and those two things are gonna hurt us in the future in these battles that we fight against Davos and, and the globalists, or the battles that we now are in with China and Russia. It hurts us that we don't have an identity. And again, I'll say when you don't have an identity at bottom, the only thing for you to do is to resent yourself or other people. And we see a lot of that makes it hard to form a a, a formidable front against foreign authorities or foreign threats. I got to ask this question because
1: just your your conversation is taking me there. Wasn't anticipating it, but you're, you're taking me there it it and and this won't seem all that connected but it's just where the conversation has gone it, it sounds like the the view of who the good guy and the bad guy is in the russian ukraine dispute is far more complicated than what we're being led to believe by corporate media
5: um well yeah i mean it's it's all of these geopolitical uh, conflicts are, are deeply complicated. Um, you have culture, you have uh, holy wars, you have historical battles that have been fought you know, since World War II and even beyond. Uh, you have revolutions that have popped up in different countries with different foreign nations trying to incentivize or empower revolutionary action within another nation. And that's happened across the board with some level of equal, equal play, I would say. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff going on in these matters. But what seems clear is that many people have been sold a, a, a story since after World War II, but definitely, you know, the late 90s and into the 2000s and, and certainly right up to 2016 and beyond that Vladimir Putin and Russia uh, is is the, you know, the, the, the access of evil. And I'm not saying that they're great people. I'm not saying that Vladimir Putin is a great guy, but... There are rules to war. And when we came to an agreement after the Cuban Missile Crisis, after the, the, the height of the Cold War, which never stopped, it continued on, we're still in it, obviously, but, but there, was a, there was a moment of truce. Um, when that happened, we made an agreement with Russia that NATO would not move east of Poland. And we did. And, and that was arrogant. And that was prideful uh, and, and it was vain. And and we believe that our idea, the liberal ethos, the, the post-World War II democratic liberal order ethos, is something that rightfully should go around the entire world. And if and anybody who stood in our way uh, w- would have to face the might of the entire uh, NATO military uh, or, or the Western allies. And, and so, you know, for us to put and think of it this way, we would never let Russia put missiles or weapons on our border. That was the Cuban Missile Crisis, in effect, we, with the, you know, the Cubans and Castro let let uh, the Russians put missiles on on a country that's too close to us. And we said that that's over the line. Uh, and, and that fortunately for for us and the entire world that that conflict never came to to a head and and actually, you know, devolved into a nuclear exchange. But that was the that was the the thinking from the West, from America. We're not letting you put weapons on our border. We wouldn't let China put weapons in Mexico. We wouldn't let the Pashtuns or Iran put weapons in Canada. So why is it that we believe we should be able to put weapons in the in, in Ukraine? I mean, it's just simple. It's not really that complex when you think of it that way. Now, if you want to go into the history. My opinion is that the crown never forgave the Russian revolutionaries um, for killing the last czar of Russia, who was Nicholas and Nicholas and, and, and uh, George, I think it was, were second cousins. Uh, and that tells you again how the history of the crown worked in the monarchies in Europe Russia uh that Nicholas even ended up being the Czar of Russia in the first place. but you know when the when the revolution started, the Bolshevik Revolution started in russia um and and you had uh trotsky and and all of these people um they killed Nicholas and his entire family and right so you have that there too there, there's a lot going on, but I think that a, a lot of it a lot of the animosity between the west and Russia at bottom um, is, is that, that historical uh, slaughtering of Nicholas and his, and his family. Um, so,
1: Royce, I want to circle all the way back to uh, the sports side of this because th- mm. there, there, there is a way to see what this hockey player from Russia did as just another ray of hope. From Kyrie Irving to this guy, uh, we're starting to see athletes break from the pack and make other athletes start dealing with some questions about like, yeah, what are we doing? Why can't they just, hey, we're all going to support Black Lives Matter. And we're all going to support gay pride. We're all going to support. Is is any of this consistent with what I believe? And so I am actually think we're in the process of an awakening that, that's going on with some athletes. And, and perhaps this is just another ray of hope that, that, you know, this conversation is starting to open up and there will be more people following the lead of this guy or Kyrie Irving, Aaron Rodgers not taking the jab. Maybe this is all just a good sign that we're finally waking up.
5: Anytime people fight back against the, the, the status quo, especially a corrupt status quo, I think it's a good thing. Um, and I, and as, as I've said, and, and when I was down there in Nashville, which we talked about Colin Kaepernick and what it signaled, not Colin Kaepernick himself, but but the idea of athletes in this corporate-dominated political world rising up and, and demonstrating leadership. Um, athletes make for tremendous leaders because they have uh, you know innate qualities that you need to to be a leader. And and what leaders do, whether it be physically, socially, politically, intellectually, they can anticipate the future. They have a way to to look out into the world and see the reality of of people, but circumstance, and be able to predict with some good reason into the future. Actually, that's the validity and profundity of the Bible. The Bible was able to reasonably, reasonably predict far, far into the future. Um, and athletes have that that great quality. You got chess players and, you know, not that chess players are athletes, but, you know, there are certain types of people that make for great leaders. Um, and I think athletes are certainly uh, amongst them. The, the problem is, is that athletes as a as a corpus of people have been corporatized. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's so corporate dominated um, and that that has been much of what has stopped athletes from from stepping into that role up until this point so
1: Royce uh, thank you so much uh, appreciate the time great job we'll see you next week Royce I'm not I'm not convinced put Royce back on camera I hope you I'm not convinced Royce that the the suited and booted Royce is better than Royce in the uh, outdoor gear I, I, I kinda liked that look. I thought that was unique to you and anybody in this space. Uh you know, I I I hope you're not feeling any pressure from the commenters that were having a little fun with you. Uh I mean you look sharp. I'm not I'm not gonna deny that, but I just kinda liked uh the rugged outdoorsy look. It looked like you you look like Minnesota. It's cold up in Minnesota and you look cold. Uh so you know, take well, that
5: with well, a grain. Well, you know. Well, well, look, look. I'm a Viking. There's no doubt about it. I got a lot of Norwegian blood, um, and and we are in Viking country. And my Vikings uh, blew blew the game the other day. That was a, that was a, Expected. that was a, a hit. That was a <laughs> hit, though. I mean, it still hurts you, whether or not. You know, I I always say, I don't even take the Vikings serious until we're one game out of the Super Bowl and we're at the 20 yard line and we got a field goal lined up. If if we don't get back to that point. I, I have great doubt uh, in, in my mind. But, but uh, on a serious note, um, I, I, think it's, I think it's proper for me to you know, step into a more serious role as, as much as I can. I'm, I'm, I'm very afraid of, of the world right now and the people that are in charge and have been in charge. Like when you hear Kissinger, uh, he sounds like uh, Palpatine uh, from Star Wars and his latest comments uh, on, on Russia and Ukraine. And he did a complete 180 on Russia and Ukraine before he was saying that Ukraine should not go in NATO. Now, a month later, Ukraine should go in NATO. Uh, and then you hear Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum saying, hey, all of these conflicts create a great opportunity for us to move forward our agenda. Um, I don't know, maybe people don't take, take individuals serious as politicians unless they wear a suit. I, I like the suit, it, it's, it suits me, I think.
1: I, you know what? You just reverse my opinion because get, you, you say these bold, powerful things about really important issues. People that Adam Kissinger may see it. Klaus Schwab may see it. And you got this outdoorsy look and they're like, well, who is this dude? You're suited like that. They're like, oh, my God, this is a serious man. He said some serious things. I. I, I yeah. Prop Joe said it best in the wire. Look the part, be the part. Mf yeah. and so no that's what uh, that's what you're doing. Uh, thank you, Royce. Uh, make sure you guys are going to fearlessarmyrollcall.com and signing up to join us here in Nashville at our roll call event at Rocket Town in Nashville, Tennessee. That's Saturday, April fifteenth. We're doing it because bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. I was on Tucker Carlson last night. Uh, we'll play that clip. And then on the other side of it, Shamika Michelle uh, will rejoin us next. I
0: just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want, to be, I just want.
2: I respect everybody. I respect everybody's choices. And this is my choice because this is my religion. You would think that the rest of the country including its press corps would stand back in awe of the bravery of that man and the clarity of that sentiment which is the true american sentiment but people hate him for it what's going on here
1: well you would also think that more american-born and bred athletes of christian faith (laughs) would take a similar stand as this russian guy uh, but were cowards and and it listen it's hard to blame the nhl This is all of corporate America imposing its will on sports leagues. All of corporate America has bought into diversity, inclusion and equity or diversity, equity, inclusion, whatever you want to call it. And so they have the corporate America has all these uh, policies in place to impose diversity, equity and inclusion. And, and now they're imposing that on the sports world. And so it's not just the National Hockey League. It's the NFL. It's Major League Baseball. It's the NBA. If someone tells you, hey, we're having a pride night and we don't care what your religious values are, put on this shirt, support this. They're all going to do it in lockstep because they're all slaves to corporate America. And, and so we have the left has realized that the one Institution, the one strong force in popular culture that instilled and reinforced conservative values has been the sports world. And they're using corporate America to take over the sports world and make it bend to the will of the left and the secular and the godless. And the NHL is just another example of this. They hired or they announced the hiring of black woman, Kim Davis uh, to be basically in charge of their diversity, equity, and inclusion program, and they're gonna fix diversity in the National Hockey League. And fixing diversity in the National Hockey League means giving every team a diversity, inclusion, and equity department, and slapping t-shirts on the players and making them support the LGBT agenda and the Black Lives Matter agenda, and any agenda that stands against traditional American values. Saddest observation of the week
2: that it took a foreigner to do this You know, there's still a lot of Americans who play hockey, and it's inconceivable that any of them would say a single word about this. Uh, I mean, where's their self-respect?
1: Tucker, it's so crystal clear. Black Lives Matter is part of the LGBT movement. It's part of a Marxist movement. And so we've had athletes in football, basketball, baseball, everyone, they're all disavowing their religious convictions and taking on the convictions of corporate America and global corporations. They're slaves to the dollar. They worship the dollar. They worship popularity and being influencers. We don't have religious convictions. We don't have men bold enough to stand on their religious convictions other than, I guess, a Russian guy. It's embarrassing for us as Americans.
2: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it tells you a lot about our foreign policy too, I would I would say. Uh, Jason Willock, it is so great to see you as always. Thank you.
1: All right, welcome back. Let's roll out to North Carolina, bring in Shamika Michelle. I saw something over social media a couple of days ago, a young woman put out a video uh, talking about Michelle Obama, saying how she couldn't stand Barack Obama for 10 years in their marriage. And she was kind of, Michelle was celebrated for it. And Young lady put out a TikTok video with her take on it and it made me think of Shamika Michelle immediately. Uh, let's play the clip from TikTok of this woman's take on Michelle Obama.
0: Michelle Obama said something recently that I think she should apologize for. People think I'm being catty by saying this. It's like, there were 10 years. Why well, I couldn't stand my husband. Just in case you didn't catch that, The man that she said that she couldn't stand for 10 years just so happened to be the 44th president of the United States of America. That's kind of a big deal. Where else do you even see this? What other wife of a high-ranking official would even say something like that? That was wildly irresponsible, it was flagrantly disrespectful, and we cannot have a civil society where the first lady of the United States thinks that her celebrity status supersedes any type of public respect that she should have for her husband, okay? She needs to apologize for that. You know what, as a black woman, it's embarrassing. And I'm tired of that narrative, it's sickening. Please, enough. Do you ever see the president of France's wife saying this kind of stuff? No. Queen Elizabeth speaking that way about Prince Philip? No, she was the queen of England. Do you think Vladimir Putin's wife If he were still married, do you think that she would say something like that? Absolutely not. But if Michelle Obama says it, it's supposed to be okay. It's not okay. And I don't expect most black women to hear me on this because most black women were not raised in a household where the man is in proper leadership. They weren't raised with fathers in their lives. This is not a condemnation of her. This is a condemnation of that type of ideology and and mentality that thinks that it's okay and it's all right to say that in public. It is not. If that is how you feel, keep it to yourself. There are certain things that you don't let out of the house when you are a married person. You're the first lady of the United States. She knows this. I thought feminism means equality. Actually, no man can get up and say that that they hated their wife or they couldn't stand their wife for 10 years. And on top of all of that, this man for 10 years that she couldn't stand
1: He's kind of the whole reason we even know who she is. Mm. Uh That made me think of Shamika Michelle. I was like, is this Shamika's daughter or sister uh, for one? And then it made me want to do an approval rating on Michelle Obama. Uh, Shamika, uh, let's unpack your thoughts on this while doing an approval rating on Michelle Obama. Your thoughts.
3: Jason, there's so much that I love about this video. First of all, her southern accent that I could hear coming through. Number two, her natural hair. I love the fact that she seems to be a young woman who has not bought into this BS that has ravaged my generation and the generation before me. And number four, everything that she said in this video, I completely agree with. And I love that she brought up Queen Elizabeth. You know, uh, Shahrazad. Ali, one of my favorite anti-feminists and the reason why I haven't eaten pork in almost 30 years, has always said that there's no other group of women that downplay and uh, degrade their men the way that we do. We say crazy things like we're the backbone, and men have even bought into this foolish ideology that without us, they would be nothing. And some of them believe that they are anything anyway. And when she talked about Queen Elizabeth, I really enjoyed it because I've peeked into, you know, the crown a little bit just because it's intriguing. Here was this woman who was the queen whose husband was beneath her. But she yet had to be submissive. And while she wasn't perfect at all times, I think she did a really good job. And if we even bring it here to the United States, I think about uh, Hillary Clinton. I think that, you know, when Bill played Hot the hammer in the Oval Office, most people would have understood if she had been disrespectful to him. But even while she was running for president and most people thought she was going to win, she still still did not disrespect this man who had disrespected and embarrassed her. So it really is just our group of women that buy into this. And lately, I've been seeing a lot of videos where black women are telling white women, oh, you wish you were us. You know, you're going out and you're buying our, you know, our lips and you want to buy our behinds. I hope that no other group of women buy into this foolishness, or else you're gonna be uh, making an investment in AAA or AA batteries because this right here is crazy. And it, it was very disrespectful for Michelle to say this. I know she's trying to be sister girl and she's trying to be down and she wants to have other black women praising her. But the way you do that is to continue to set an example as an older woman in how women should carry themselves. And to berate Barack like this was just foolishness. You had to have a whole set of balls to... <laughs> come out and say this craziness. You went Big
1: Mike on did. it, huh?
3: <laughs> <laughs> he, he went old Big Mike. <laughs> because she didn't care how it was going to make him look.
1: <laughs> so let me play devil's advocate and say, no, I think what she's saying, not that I believe it, but what I think she's saying is like marriage is hard. And, you know, I had to stick it out and you have to be committed in a marriage and, you know, there'll be times in a marriage when y'all don't even like each other, but you got to stick it out. Maybe that's what she's saying.
3: Yeah. And I think she could have definitely said it in a respectful way. That's not how she said it though. And I think that's the problem that we think we can be disrespectful and it's supposed to be cute and celebrated there. Of course, marriage is hard and you do have to stick through times where that's not your favorite person on the planet. And so I do think there's a way she could have said it. Women have said Things like that for a long time, but not in the disrespectful way that she put it. Sometimes you got to bring in, rein in that sister girl because it can come out very bitchy and condescending. And I think that's what that did.
1: The point that you made that I think is awesome and accurate is that, and say what you anybody wants to say about Hillary Clinton and her politics, but... As a wife, and maybe she did it for power, who who knows, but she has been respectful of Bill Clinton from start to finish. It, when he was right in the middle of that controversy and she was taking a lot of heat, didn't she say something about Tammy Wynette's stand by your man and and people gave her grief for that? Mm-hmm. And, and she, you know, when he was going through the whole Mono Lewinsky thing, she stood by him as far as maybe she'll write a memoir or a book at some point. But I think she already had. Maybe she'll trash him then. I, I don't know. But she hasn't done it. And and it seems like from afar, you know, Billy, dealing with Bill Clinton more difficult than dealing with Barack Obama. That's speculation from afar. Who knows? Maybe Barack is, you know. My mother't this is the same, my mother says, and I pardon me for saying, I, this a bitch on a bicycle is what, is what she would call somebody. Like. Anyway, maybe that's Barack. I, I, I don't know, but from afar, Bill Clinton looked like a, a, a tougher person to deal with than Barack, and, and Hillary Clinton never sold him out
3: never sold them out. And I give her grief for every chance I get, simply because I do stand against her politically. Whatever dig I can take at Hillary, I'm digging deep. But I will say, we don't know what she said to him behind closed doors, and that's really what matters. You know, I think a lot of time as Black women, When we feel like our men have embarrassed us or done us wrong, we wanna parade them out in front of the world and verbally castrate them. They have to uh, start an apology tour with everyone who's not in the the relationship. And that's something that I can't stand. And we see it over and over again, where we'll put these men, um, you know, in these public platforms to apologize to us over and over and just belittle them. I don't understand why we get turned on by that and why that's something that we do, but it's something that you see in our culture so much. Bill, I'm sure, apologized to Hillary and but she never took him on an apology tour for America. And he was the president of the United States. It wasn't like she made him bow down to her in front of all of us, but we seem as black women to get some type of glory or joy when we do that to our men, as if they aren't beaten down enough on a daily basis. Of course, everybody's going to make mistakes, but black men don't do that to black women. And I'm sure there are black women who are celebrities or very popular public figures that have done something wrong in their marriage, but they have not been paraded in front of the world to be belittled like that. So, you know, I think that's something we got to look yeah, we've at. We've
1: seen Jada Pinkett Smith embarrass Will at the Red Table, and we've seen Will go slap uh, Chris Rock for embarrassing Jada, the the, the the dynamic is off, and that's another high-profile example of exactly what you're talking about.
3: Absolutely, and. Um it just happens so much. Nobody really ridiculed Jada for what she did. I mean, of course, people made jokes, but even in that, the joke was on Will. Nobody really ridiculed her and talked about how much of a whore she was or a harlot to be going out here sleeping with her son's friend. The joke was still on Will, and he's still the butt of the joke to this day, although she was the one in the wrong. So it, and he's he's taking it but
1: it happens all the time. All right. uh, Very quickly, let's run through our approval rating on Michelle Obama. Job performance, I give her a 22 in job performance. I think she's uh, one of the prime operators of the Democrat left-wing religious satanic cult, and she does a good job uh, promoting satanic values. I give her a 22.
3: And I gave her a 19 for those very reasons, Jason. I think she's a great uh, race baiter. I think she's doing a good job in, in, in sending women the wrong way with some of the things that she says. But I took some points off because if she can she do her wifely duties while she's feeling herself and thinking that, you know, she's the new Beyonce sitting on top of the world? So I had to take points off because in job performance, I don't know if she's really doing her job at home
1: (laughs) i'm not touching that one although i would like to i've got jokes for days uh character i'm i gave her a five in character and that's high and it's all based off of they've been married for 20 some odd years they're still in the marriage i got respect for that uh so as it relates to character, it takes some character to pull off a successful marriage for any length of time. She's done it, so I give her a five.
3: And I gave her a two, uh, a one for each decade, I guess, because, you know, you're right. It does take <laughs> a lot to to hold a marriage together. But outside of that, I just don't really think she's doing the job that she could be doing with the celebrity and status and name that she has and holds. I think her character could definitely be better.
1: I think she's very authentic. I think she's uh, an around-the-way girl with an uppity attitude, and that's how she comes off to me as an around-the-way girl with an uppity attitude. Around-the-way girl they let into Ivy League school and she thinks she's better than everybody else. I'll give her a 23.
3: And I gave her a 23, the goat number, because I think she is very good at being the the bitter black woman, even if she tries to hide it a little bit. You know, we see it so much. It's become so uh, casual and usual that we aren't even surprised by it anymore. So, yeah, I think she's very authentic. This is who she is. And, you know, it's her.
1: Uh, It factor. I give her a 10. The Democrats seem to love her. They love her. They want her to run for president. Not my personal cup of tea, but other people seem excited by her. So I gave her a 10 in it factor.
3: I gave her a five because like the young lady said in the in, in the video, Barack is the only reason we know her. I do not think anyone would have been checking for Michelle Uh, the the overbite or uh, the the nice arms or any of that had he not become who he was so I think she needs to take a bit of humble pie and realize that girl we wouldn't know you we we love you I was so happy Barack had a, a black wife but take it down a thousand we know you because of him it factor she ain't it
1: uh, so Michelle Robinson would not be well-known or famous. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both have her at candlelit. I got her at a 60. Shamika's got her at 49. Shamika, great job. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I'm gonna move on to the Korean Cosell, talk a little sports with uh, Cosell on the other side. Uh, you can email me and us at the show, fearlessblaze show at gmail.com. Keep the emails pouring in. Love to hear about your donations to Preborn. Love to hear from those of you that are signing up to come to the Roll Call event here in Nashville. Uh, Everybody's kind of off my hair thing, because everybody, you know, now, as my hair starts to gray a tiny bit, everybody agrees how good I look, so no one's got any comments about me uh, dying my hair anymore. But uh, anyway, enjoy the emails, fearlessblaze show at gmail.com, Korean Cosell, thanks. Atheist, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth. This would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect. You know, you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on
4: his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture, and we, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children. Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids and you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12 year old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let them make the Bible, hate speech. You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you. So it's like everybody, That's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all
1: types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here.
4: Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, We're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough. In prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, If we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ, I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men, once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out.
1: You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your position, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers.
2: All
1: right, welcome back. Let's roll out to Los Angeles. Bring in Steve Kim, the Korean co-cell, talk a little sports. Steve, breaking news across the National Football League. Breaking news, we interrupt this program to announce Greg Roman Mm. out as the offensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Mm -hmm. do you think this is a sign that Lamar Jackson is on his way out in Baltimore? His offensive coordinator of choice or the offensive coordinator that brought him an MVP and years of success is now out. is, Is this a clue that perhaps the Ravens are going to go a
2: different direction at quarterback as well? So the Roman Empire has fell in Baltimore. I don't know. You could look at it as another way. Now, personally, I think Lamar has made up his mind based on that tweet or that Instagram message he sent a couple of days ago that if his body is not out of Baltimore, at least his mind and spirit seem to be. But I could look at it another way. Maybe it's their way of telling Lamar, Lamar, hold on, let's build this. If you've already reached your ceiling with that previous offensive coordinator, Let's actually get you some help on the outside and start to truly develop your skills. Because it's really interesting when you gauge the temperature. In of the year Ravens. six, we're
1: going to develop your skills. Go ahead, go okay, ahead. Okay.
2: Well, again, I'm going to do it. Do it again because we haven't done this in a few weeks. Rich Gannon got to get that in there again. We, we hadn't done that in a while. So, Rich Gannon developed really late into his career. Rich, we love you. We we love here at the Blaze on Fearless. We are the official show of Rich Gannon, by the way. But yeah, look quarterbacks can evolve late this is not necessarily unprecedented but unless you give any player a chance to grow and develop his skills we're not we're never going to be able to find out what he can do so but uh, to my point when you ask raven fans across the board about their approval rating of roman it's interesting the opinion is very split there's a faction that believes Roman is the perfect offensive coordinator that accentuates the skill set and the athleticism of Lamar. The other half believes, no, no, he holds him back. So I don't know. You could look at this either way that, hey, maybe this is more of a commitment to getting a better version of Lamar Jackson, or maybe you're right. Maybe it is finally the divorce papers being sent over to be signed.
1: I haven't chosen a side. I I believe Baltimore may be – Maybe Lamar wants Greg Roman gone. Y'all saying I can't mm-hmm. be a pocket passer. Right. Maybe Lamar right. said in a negotiation, bring me an offensive coordinator that runs a offense, you know, consistent with that, because my my memory's a tiny bit fuzzy at my age, but Greg Roman worked originally with Colin Kaepernick, right, in yeah. San Francisco. Right. And then and so he's worked with a certain style of quarterback, a run first quarterback that's not a traditional pocket passer, doesn't have the traditional throwing motion. And so maybe this is an olive branch to Lamar mm, or right. an indication of like, hey, we'll bring in you know some passing guru and, and we'll go a different direction with you to justify paying you what you want. Or maybe this is in lieu of giving you everything you want. And, and, and maybe it's with the anticipation of we'll put a franchise tag on Lamar, we'll bring in a passing offensive coordinator, and we'll look under the hood for a year. We'll, we'll, we'll go out yeah. and pay whatever it costs to get uh, some offensive coordinator that can run a sophisticated passing offense. We'll pay Lamar $40 million bucks next year to look under the hood to see if he can develop into a passing quarterback. Maybe that's what this
2: signals. Jason, let's go back in history, and I am not comparing the upside or the capabilities of these guys. Let's go back to your personal favorite, John Elway, who actually went to three Super Bowls and was a perennial pro bowler in his first half of his run at Denver. But remember what happened in the early to mid-90s? He started really chafing under the direction of dan reeves and i remember before that super bowl in 1998 for that season LA basically said i i was hindered i was handcuffed under that offense and i really like when shanahan came in mike shanahan very young assistant i think he was hired from the 49ers after he had a successful run i think as the quarterback coach or the coordinator there Then all of a sudden, John Elway said, my horizons really opened up. And you actually look at John Elway's numbers in those early Super Bowl years. We look at John Elway as putting up great numbers. He really didn't. You actually look at the number of yards, percentage of completions, touchdown to interception ratio. By today's standards, and again, the game has changed. There were certain years it didn't look that great statistically. And John Elway said, look, I was handcuffed and I had the shackles put on me. So I'm kind of looking at this thing. This is not unprecedented for highly successful quarterbacks to think, you know what? Coaching and systems matter.
1: Okay. That's the narrative. Remove (laughs) all of that. Do you buy it? Do you think some new offensive coordinator is going to turn Lamar Jackson into a passing savant?
2: No, because he is what he is, but I think he's a good enough passer. See, this is where I think me and you disagree. You don't think he's really a good passer at all. I actually think he's pretty good. Um, he doesn't have the what I'd call the classic over-the-top delivery, but the ball comes out smooth, and he hits enough downfield passes where I think, you know what, how would this look under a system that much like what Drew Brees had with Sean Payton, where every game you come into it with 15 to 20 easy completions, on time, on rhythm, quick hitting throws to get a quarterback in rhythm and into a nice, steady cadence. And, and I'm going to say this again, what does he do with the true number one big-bodied receiver that every game, instead of just relying on Mark Andrews, that he has a number one guy that you know you can target eight to 10 times a game, and he'll do some stuff in the intermediate routes and beyond. So that's the thing, though. So I don't know, but again... We have to – we don't know one thing. Does Lamar actually want to be back in Baltimore under any circumstance?
1: Well, if he had an agent that was advising <laughs> him, well, they yeah, would tell I mean, him, they would tell him, hey, Lamar, ain't nobody giving you Deshaun Watson money out here. It ain't out here in these streets. Your best play is Baltimore. And look, maybe his mother or someone advising him has done the homework. Here would be the suggestion that, that, or here's the argument I would be making if I'm Lamar Jackson. Go get me somebody off of uh, Philadelphia's coaching staff offensive system. Mm-hmm. Give me the same system that Jalen Hurts. I can do what Jalen Hurts has done yes. this, year, this year. and And so perhaps that's the argument they're putting together. But I, I just don't see – there is no market for the kind of money Lamar's looking for outside of Baltimore. And perhaps they get rid of, of, of uh, Greg Roman to go get someone off Philly's yeah. staff or from that system that Philly's running for Jalen Hurts and says bring that here to Baltimore. That's the, that's the wrinkle we're going to add. We think he can do what Jalen Hurts has done this season that that's a believable argument and narrative mm-hmm. that would justify given lamar uh, uh, particularly on a one or two year painting the franchise number yeah. whatever that is that, that would justify
2: yeah and, and i'm going to mention this name again also get him an aj brown because aj brown has made jalen Hurts's job easier it, it just can't be one or the other you can change a system but you, to, you also have to get Lamar a little bit of help on the outside.
1: Let me go to another Brown name, Jason Brown, Coach JB. His mm-hmm. argument to that would be that A.J. Brown willing to go to Philadelphia and play with Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown not willing to go to Baltimore yeah. and play with Lamar Jackson. It's not about what I think about Lamar's throwing motion or what kind of passer he is. It's what do NFL elite wide receivers think of Lamar Jackson?
2: There is an argument for that, but let's be honest. When you thought of your upper crust, upper echelon elite receivers, did you really think A.J. Brown was in that class, Jason, prior to this season? You probably didn't. We probably thought of him as a very talented, explosive guy. Um uh, had some the wrong moments. Question. Okay. Money solves everything. Let me tell you what the question
1: is. Let me tell you what the question is. What does A.J. Brown think of himself, and where does he think he can showcase what he thinks of himself as at? He believes Philadelphia,
2: I can do it. But, again, money cures a lot of this stuff. These guys are mercenaries. I think some guys actually care about the system fit. Do I like the players around me? A lot of these guys just want to get paid. That, that's the way I look no at it. No doubt you about can, it. I mean, I don't think that, look, there's, I believe, look, contrary to popular belief, there have been 1,000-yard receivers with Lamar Jackson. Didn't Hollywood Brown about two years ago have a 1,000-yard season basically running go routes? He wasn't a complete receiver. I believe he's now on the Cardinals. So it's not like there's never been a receiver to put up any type of statistical impact while playing alongside number eight. I think we need to crush that narrative, okay? I just think it's a little bit unfair, but if you look, ask yourself this. If Lamar Jackson was on the Philadelphia Eagles, do you think the Eagles would be more successful than they are with Jalen Hurts? More dangerous, more lethal?
1: If Lamar Jackson was on the Philadelphia Eagles, do I think they'd be
2: more dangerous? No. What? Oh, completely disagree. Completely disagree. His I, I, ability. Well, here's oh, what I think. Really? I think if he were
1: on the Eagles, if he were on the they'd be running the exact same offense that yes. they run in Baltimore. Philly has an incredible offensive line, and you know, their running game right. with Lamar Jackson would just be accentuated and that much better.
2: Jalen Hurts is a good athlete and he's tough. But he does not have that top end speed or that acceleration or that ability to make people miss like Lamar Jackson. As good as Jalen Hurts has been, and he might be this year's MVP, you give Lamar Jackson those pieces and that system, it would be even that much better, in my view, with number eight.
1: A.J. Brown is what, and I'm looking it up as we talk, uh, A.J. Brown is probably 25 years old?
2: Yes, 25 or 26. Still very young.
1: He's 25 years old, and so he's he goes to Philadelphia basically this is his second contract and that's where guys want to strike it rich and they want to put up yeah. big numbers in hopes of getting a third contract for big money and so let's a 25-year-old receiver does he want to go play with Lamar and have his whole third contract dependent upon Lamar mm. and so then what you get are if you don't get the guy that's trying to get his third contract, then you get the Julio Joneses who are looking mm. for their fourth contract. <laughs> and, you know, there's wear and tear on the t- tires. And, and it's, a tough, it's a tough deal. I'll throw a name out at you. How, how do you think a marriage between Lamar and OBJ
2: would go? No. No. No, that, that'd be DOA. I, I don't want OBJ anywhere near my football team. I'm sorry. Look, I will give him credit for being a good second banana and actually cooperating within the Rams system and helping them lead go to a Super Bowl. But no, I, just, I don't want that drama. I really don't. But look at the 49ers, Jason, for as, as good as they are. Do they really have a true number one or do they have guys that are really good? Like Debo Samuels, great playmaker. Brandon Ayuk is a master route runner, but I would not call either of those guys a true number one. But again, if you gave, if you gave Lamar Jackson those two guys along with Mark Andrews and a healthy set of legs, that could work. So again, I'm not asking him to get Jerry right or Randy Moss. You're, you're leaving Let's out the key the- ingredient. You're leaving out the key ingredient. Kyle with the Shanahan new system, calling plays right and so that's the next point with a new revamp system look nothing in life is guaranteed coaching uh changes don't just automatically work but if you gave him parts or superior parts outside of mark andrews and some healthy running backs you have a shot can we give look as critical as we've been on number eight we also have to give him some credit he's won a lot of ball games And I don't think it's just about the system because if you ever look at the record of the Baltimore Ravens the last three, four years with Jackson and without him, it's a marked difference. For all that we talk about, coaching matters. You know what also matters to the Ravens? Lamar Jackson matters too. No matter what we think of his recent behavior and some of this soft stuff that he's done that we don't like, we also have to give him credit for the way he's actually performed.
1: I, I do give him credit, and I think he deserves a lot of the credit for the Ws they put up. It's just do they translate in January and February yeah, that's and the postseason question. and playoff games? That, that's the question. Let, let's move on to another offensive coordinator fired uh, today, Byron Leftwich. Byron Leftwich, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are moving on from him. Uh, Shannon Sharp over mm-hmm. at Fox Sports had some interesting thoughts about uh, who's to blame for Byron Leftwich getting fired? Uh, I, I want your thoughts after we watch Shannon's thoughts.
6: By- Byron Leftwich. So the same guy that led you to three division titles, the same guy that called every single play when you won the Super Bowl, the same guy that that, that you were basically a uh, 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 hold uh, uh, away from maybe winning the uh, 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 the divisional round and getting back to the uh, 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 the championship game. You got a blown coverage, and who knows what happened if this game goes to overtime. That same Byron Lefkowitz, now he lost his job. Because why? It's always, if Tom Brady does not succeed, it's always got to be somebody else's fault. It's never his fault. Now, they're talking about, well, Shadow, we couldn't run the ball. In 2019, the Buccaneers was 26th in rush. In 2018, they were 27th in rush. So when in the hell did they ever have a top-10 rush offense? But instead of saying, you know what? Tom had an off year. Tom didn't play bad. I mean, Tom didn't play well. Let's put all of this on Byron Leftwich. Now, remember, Byron Leftwich was so good, Tom Brady got Bruce Arians out of the head coaching job and bumped upstairs mm. because he got tired of the hard work that he and Byron was doing, and B.A. was coming in there late to the show, and with a little red marker, he was crossing this out and xing that out. That's the same guy. Mm. That's the same guy right there. Byron Leftwich sitting next to him. I feel bad for B. I I feel bad for B. Let me tell you mm-hmm. why, Skip. He had an opportunity to take the job at Jacksonville. He did. And because they wanted to put their own general manager in there and not let him bring his own, yep. he turned it down and went back.
2: He withdrew his name. Yep.
6: Now the likelihood of this man becoming mm-hmm. head coach is not very good. It's Slim to none. And Slim ain't on no diet, so mm-hmm. he gained weight, so it ain't gonna happen. Yep. Man, this is this is this is some bull job. Hmm.
1: So hmm. Sharp <laughs> is blaming Tom Brady for Byron Leftwich getting fired. I don't think it's fair because it's crystal clear Tom Brady's leaving Tampa, and so they're not making decisions with Tom Brady in mind. He's leaving, in my view. And this is Todd Bowles yeah. firing Byron Leftwich. If Todd Bowles believed Byron Leftwich did a good job, he'd stand on a table and demand that Byron Leftwich keep his job or, you know, you know, that's my guy. I believe in him. Tom put him in a bad situation. This is, I don't, I get what it's about. And, 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 cause Shannon has every right to think that Byron Leftwood is getting a raw deal. Tom Brady didn't go all in and whatever. But, to not blame Todd Bowles for yeah. leftwich getting fired, to put that on Tom Brady? that uh, uh, The blackhead coach, he's not responsible for the black offensive coordinator losing his job. This is a joke to be blaming Tom Brady for this.
2: Well, first of all, I'm stunned that Skip didn't interrupt him. But it's, you know, it's good to see those two guys getting along, playing nice with each other. Good good to see, you know, they're kind of put that back. Uh Yeah, but you're right. Generally, bad quarterback play or a quarterback that does not play to a certain standard that we expect, those offensive coordinators get in trouble. You know, when, when your quarterback plays great or you have a great quarterback, you get head coaching jobs. You get elevated, right? Like the guy that fleeced Denver, uh Hackett's son. But if a quarterback fails in his own way they generally get demoted but when it's all said and done shannon sharp has to be honest about this tom brady who looks like will not be a part of this organization had nothing to do with that decision with byron Leftwich. i would think that the organization and part of that certainly has to be todd bowles who i don't know last time i checked he was still the head coach made that decision so this is on Bulls, but I, I'm going to be honest about this. I do feel bad for Leftwich in one sense. Their their offensive line got banged up. They had no running game. And then it's still tough, no matter how great Brady is, at that age to think you're going to put all of that on his shoulders and say, hey, Tom, here's a game plan. You're going to throw 66 times, and we're going to fall behind, but we're going to be okay. That's a recipe for disaster, even with a much younger Tom Brady. But again, Shannon, I have one question to ask you, respectfully. Who actually made that decision? Is it Tom Brady, who may or may not be retired, or the actual head coach, whose name is Todd Bowles? Well, I, I think
1: it's – look Look who's in that decision-making room because Bruce Arians is still yeah. a major part yeah. of the organization, kicked upstairs. He's been Byron Leftwich's rabbi, Todd Bowles. Been Byron Leftwich's rabbi, but somehow it's magically it's it's Tom Brady who's responsible for this. The people that supported Byron Leftwich for a year, and and they have far more information than any of us speculating on the outside, reached the conclusion Byron Leftwich didn't do a good enough job to keep his job. And and to somehow say, nah, I'm not going to blame Bruce Arians who made him offensive quarter. I'm not going to blame the head coach who he's uh, worked with and is part of the decision. I'm going to blame Tom Brady for hmm. Leftwich getting fired because it has to be someone else's fault. It, it, it's just a joke to me. I don't know if Byron Leftwich is any good. I do know that Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles, and the Buccaneers' ownership just gathered up, consulted with each other, and decided Byron Leftwich yeah. had to be fired. This isn't some racial deal, this isn't some Tom Brady deal, this is an organization saying Leftwich didn't do a good job, we're moving on from him. we can do better. It, 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 and, and we'll never know what the relationship was like between Brady and Leftwich in reality on TV. It looked good, it looked like they worked well together. Yeah. Uh, to, Tom Brady, I, I, if anything, Tom Brady probably helped Byron Leftwich convince himself that they didn't need Bruce Arians because you know Shannon's contention that Byron Leftwich called every play their Super Bowl year—that's a joke. Bruce Arians was a head coach. You can't convince me that half the plays, or seventy-five percent, or twenty percent of the play had to be called by Bruce Arians. It's his offense. It's his. Yeah. So it's it's. It, it, Leftwich gets all the credit when it's going good and brady gets all the blame when it's
2: going bad it's a joke generally the quarterback makes the coordinator it, it, it's i'm just telling you in boxing the most honest trainers have always told me steve <laughs> i'm only as smart as the guy that i'm giving water to it, i will never brock forget Purdy's one time. making
1: kyle shanahan brock purdy's uh, making kyle shanahan
2: i think that's a partnership but i actually like brock Purdy a lot i think he's the best quarterback on the niners you, roster didn't say you disliked him I didn't say I, you that, disliked him. Brock Purdy say. does a lot of things better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's i will just put it to you like that—better at extending plays, and the kids got moxie, and I love guys with moxie. Jared Goff, Jared Goff is making Ben Johnson in to in a certain Detroit. degree. Jared, oh, wait a minute. Jared Goff was a number one pick. He's actually been to a Super Bowl, Jason. I'm not saying Jared Goff is got elite, run out of L.A. But, you say he got run. I think they transitioned, but Jared Goff is a solid NFL quarterback. I'm not saying he's elite. But the guy does have she some credentials. Words, words and look, I'm not saying coaches don't matter, but I, I'll never forget Freddie Roach one time told me, go, Steve, you don't think I want every guy to fight like Manny Pacquiao? You don't think I try to get other guys to do the things Manny Pacquiao does? You know, uh, Manny Pacquiao makes me a lot smarter. Coaches absolutely matter. Because North Turner basically I, saved Troy Aikman's career in Dallas. He really did. Okay? But well, it, it has Steve, to be some sort I, of a I love your boxing
1: analogies. I love your boxing analysis, but they're not wearing uh, headsets in the <laughs> boxing ring. <laughs> Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth.
2: <laughs> they do, so but you know, you know, it's interesting. I get bo- coaching in boxing, but at some point, it's just the man in the arena. But go ahead. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm just saying right now, if it was only about the coaches, well, here's the thing with Nathaniel Hackett. He certainly looked like a pretty good offensive coach while coaching Aaron Rodgers. He didn't make it through the first year running his own system, his own team. The, it, the players kind of matter. Oh, okay, let but me give you coaches, another one. Let me give you another one because the coaches, coaching
1: matters. You, you, you think Andy Reid had anything to do with Donovan McNabb and the success he had? Yeah, with and Patrick Alex Mahomes, Smith. With Alex Mahomes, with
2: Alex, Alex Smith,
1: with Michael Vick. Any quarterback right. you give Andy Reid looks better
2: than he's looked anyplace else in his life. Right, but has any of them looked as good as Patrick Mahomes, who has the most physical upside of anyone that he's ever had? I'm just, It's not always just one or the other. It's not it, – no, I mean is a part, would
1: like to have a word with you about that statement. You it, wouldn't
2: take him over – Wait a minute, also, if you had to start a franchise – I'm not saying them, who I would take. I'm just McNabb saying Don Mahomes McNabb had a take? lot of talent. huh? There's no doubt. He made a lot of Pro Bowls, led them to a lot of uh, a, the NFC Championship games, led them to a Super Bowl. But I'm just telling you, Mahomes – Adds an extra element that it actually does matter. The players and coaches, it's a partnership. It's not always just one or the other. I got you. I got you.
1: Uh, Final, final uh, topic. Aaron Rodgers. uh, Gronk says Aaron Rodgers shouldn't be talking MVPs. I think way too much is being made of this statement, but let's let's watch Gronk be critical of Aaron Rodgers.
2: He said, do I think I can still play? Of course. Can I play at a high level? The highest. I think I can win MVP again in the right situation. Is the right situation in Green Bay or somewhere else? I'm not sure. I don't think you should shut down any opportunities. I think there's more conversations to be had. What's, what's your take on that? I, I'm totally fine with everything he said, except one major part. And that's the MVP. Again, it's just that I think I I think I could win another Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And, it, and then that would have been totally fine. Like, like, bro, like, why are you thinking MVP? Like, don't you want Super Bowls? Like Super Bowls are, are I think, five times greater than, a, than an MVP award. Like we all know that you won the MVP a few times now, but like, you know, everyone would, everyone would know even more how many more Super Bowls you've won
4: than MVP. So that's why I'm just a little confused about that. You know, about that
2: quote that he just had. I mean, it should be Super Bowls. You should never be thinking the MVP when, when you want, when Super Bowls are twice and Twice. you've won. You've won four. He's uh, won one. And you know, a lot of people on Twitter and a lot of a lot of people are saying Brady wouldn't like like Brady wouldn't say that. Brady would never. Brady would say like, I want my team. I want that. And these both these guys are going to have to make decisions.
5: Hmm.
1: Big deal, little deal, or no deal here.
2: Uh, he nailed it. I, I have no look. Do I believe that Rodgers does not understand where his legacy is right now? He, but I think Gronk made a great point. If you look at Aaron Rodgers, his trophy case is filled with individual accolades and records. He's a first-ballot Hall of Famer. But what's the knock on him, Jason, that he only has one Super Bowl? Okay? So Gronk, to me, nailed it. I I don't think he overblew it. He just made a point. And you have to understand about Gronk, the always insightful Gronk, right? The Aristotle of all tight ends. He went to the Patriot way where it was all about the team, it was all about winning, and Tom Brady made sacrifices. And with Brady, at least in that era, it wasn't this year, but there was a time where Brady was about we and not me, right? Well, guess what? As corny as that sound and as cliched as that is, guess what? He's right. I think Gronk absolutely nailed it. I have no problems with what he said.
1: I'm going cape up for Aaron Rodgers here. This is... This is. I want all the viewers to know. This is again why I'm the host of this show. Here we go. Still just a contributor, Uh, because I think of these great points that Steve Mm. never think of. Uh, Okay. You are aware that the Green Bay Packers don't have an owner, and that impacts the way that team is run. That that's the one NFL franchise. without some owner who feels like his reputation's on the line if they don't win more Super Bowls. And so that organization has not been run properly to take full advantage of Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre. That organization, any other smart owner, if Robert Kraft owned that team, there's no way they draft Jordan Love when they clearly need additional help for Aaron Rodgers. But because, you know, some president or general manager who thinks he's smarter than everybody else and no one really knows, his name ain't on it, it ain't his franchise. They make dumb decisions like drafting Jordan Love when they got the best quarterback in the league. And and so that to me, more than anything, has prevented Aaron Rodgers from getting that second or third Super Bowl, more so than I would blame Jason, Aaron Rodgers. The, hold on. And then the last People. thing they asked him a question about his performance and whether he was too old to play at a high level or whatever if he felt confident. And so of course he made it they were asking him an individual question, he gave him an individual answer. The preferred answer would have been Super Bowl, but let's don't kid ourselves. The guy knows he needs to win, he wants to win another Super Bowl. He knows what it's all about. He's got four MVP trophies. He doesn't need, doesn't he got four, he doesn't need a fifth. He, he knows that, but he was just giving them well, the answer. Then, he was answering the questions that they asked.
2: Then say the right thing. Say, you know what? I don't care about individual stuff. I want a Super Bowl. In fact, I want every team that wants to grab my services, I am here to win a Super Bowl. Let's not let him off the hook. Because if Lamar Jackson would have said it, we'd be all over him. Eh, he's just all about the team and individual. No, 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 no. If we hold a guy to a high standard, the standard is the standard. I do believe, look, we, do we take things out of context without knowing how was the question framed? Yes. However, I would expect Aaron Rodgers, based on the standards that I have for him, which are very high, to say, yeah, I have MVPs. I'm actually trying to win. I know I can play at a high level. By the way, Jason, I think people have actually brought up the fact that the Packers have not done a lot to ever truly give him a lot of help. But can we be honest? That last game that Rodgers played against Detroit was a terrible game. So there's also diminishing skills. Aaron Rodgers, in my view, would be best served being on a team where he could just hand the ball off a little more and then not be a support player or a game manager because he's still unbelievably good. But... He's Come not in a Tennessee, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, my God. Would you Come stop Come to Tennessee, that? Aaron Rodgers. My Rogers. God. Look, what are, Come are you play trying with Derrick Henry. Or... Who's going to want him to hand the
1: ball to somebody?
2: You, I don't know if you're trying to run for the mayor of Nashville or whatever, but would you stop? <laughs> there's no quarterback at that level that says to their agent, Psst, hey, you know, Tennessee's kind of nice, really. Just get over it. You're basically stuck with Tannehill or uh, Josh Dobbs or whatever that guy's name is, the one from uh, Tennessee, that volunteer. Would you Malik stop Willis, that not... the got they drafted, or Josh Malik Duff. Willis.
1: First of all. Malik Willis I'm not... is a year
2: away from practicing pass routes. I hate to say it. He's got no future at quarterback, it looks like. <laughs> He's terrible. <laughs> he better practice Nashville. his intermediate, the dig routes, out routes, you know. <laughs>
1: Taking shots at Nash Vegas. This is one of the most happening it's cities in it's all of America.
2: City. No, it's a great city, and I'll probably be there again soon. But I'm saying in terms of, like, the fits, no one is saying, you know what I've always wanted to do? Play for the Titans. Really? Steve McNair ain't watching Aaron Rodgers came
1: here, Aaron Rodgers, I know he's dating somebody again, but Aaron Rodgers, a single dude, he comes here and looks at these women in cowboy boots. And he'll wish he he wish he played here his whole life.
2: This, you know, this is one of the great cities in
1: all of America. Yeah. But
2: why go to Nashville when you can go to Las Vegas? Look at the talent he'd be surrounded by on that team. Devonte Adams, they'd be Peaches and Herb reunited. It would feel so good. <laughs> Come on, you know that's a better fit for him or Brady. Not it's. I'm just telling you, it's not Nashville. It's actually the Las Vegas Raiders.
1: You know it's true. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. I hear tomorrow, that means we'll see you next week. We're taking tomorrow off. I made everybody work, MLK holiday. Friday is going to be our MLK day. So enjoy your weekend. Enjoy this freedom. We'll see you next week.
5: Nothing in life like
3: freedom Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom